Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Making Good, a podcast about the people, products, ideas and initiatives doing the work the world needs now. My name is Lee Evans. As it's National Tree Week, this week's guest is Cecil Kanonendike, a professor of urban forestry working at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver and internationally. We spoke about the difference between urban and non-urban drivers for tree planting, unpacked their relevance to the climate change and air quality agendas, and explored the way that sensitive design of planted areas can amplify the health and well-being effects of urban nature, especially around schools, hospitals and so on. We also talked about how China is leading on urban forest policy, the huge potential for and slow pace of urban greening in India, and heard about the need for an explicit focus on social justice in the large-scale deployment of trees in carbon offsetting schemes. As always, if you find this week's podcast useful, please consider liking and reviewing on iTunes and sharing in your networks so we can grow the reach of the ideas we've talked about. You can also follow us on Twitter at MakingGoodPod. So, Cecil, thanks ever so much for um, for joining us on this week's Making Good podcast. I wonder if we could begin by um, by asking you to introduce yourself. Definitely, yeah. Thanks so much, Lee, for uh, for having me. My, so, my name is uh, Cecil Kunayadak. I'm originally uh, Dutch, but I've been in Canada now for the last about three and a half years. And here at the University of British Columbia, I'm a professor of urban forestry, which basically means I'm teaching and doing research related to uh, trees, forest, and nature uh, in and around our, our cities and towns. Excellent. Um, so the reason I've invited you on this week is that um, here in the UK, at least, it's um, it's National Tree Week, and there's a number of initiatives um, under underway to um, to help promote tree planting amongst the um, amongst the population. But that speaks to um, what I think we can all perceive is um, is a recent real uptick in the um, in the interest in um, in tree planting as um, as a way of um, of helping to make a, a dent in a significant dent in the um, in the in the in the rate and speed of um, of, uh, of climate breakdown. I wonder if um, if we could begin and. I guess I'm going to try. I certainly will be jargon-free because I'm not an expert in this um, in this subject. But in as um, in as like kind of a simple and as layperson's a way as as possible, begin by um, maybe unpacking a little bit what advocates of tree planting um, think they can help with. But maybe initially help us to um, to frame frame the problems as you see them and that that tree tree planting relates to. Mm, I think that's a, it's, it's a very relevant uh, discussion, obviously, because as you, you probably will have seen, there's, there's a growth, a rapid growth in attention for uh, trees as, as a solution to some of the, the problems that we're facing in today's society. Uh, of course, obviously, climate change, but also things like um, public health challenges, people who are maybe not as physically active and also people who are maybe not in, in such good mental um, uh, health. So, so trees have come up to the fore there, I think, as really as a as, as a good way of, of addressing some of these challenges, or at least helping address them. Uh, but of course, then there's always the risk that we we kind of focus too much maybe on, on planting, 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 uh, without, for example, realizing what we have already and, and, and how nature and forest, for example, in cities are fulfilling a lot of needs already today and, and need, of course, proper management. So I think it's it's great that trees have become so um, so much in political attention, planning attention, but we have to be, I think, very nuanced in how we address uh, problems through, uh, through tree planting, but especially also to, through good management and, uh, and we say good stewardship. So how do we engage with local residents, local communities, so they actually help us take, uh, take care of those trees? 
Could we start off as a little like parenthesis? Could we just start off a little bit about talking talking a little bit about the um, the kind of activities that you're undertaking in your role over there at UBC? Absolutely. So I'm um, heavily involved in our urban forestry uh, program, which is currently uh, enrolling about 250 students from Canada, but also actually from other parts of the world, uh, Southeast Asia, for example, China. And these uh, these mostly young students, they're really interested in doing something with trees and nature in cities, be it uh, in terms of planning, maybe designing in the future, but also in terms of, of management and making connections between people and trees. So so it's really re- rewarding to be involved in that. But but aside from that, we do a lot of research in my group, uh, in the Urban Forestry Research and Action Lab, as we call it. And we do a lot of work on things like how do we develop good management strategies and how do we um, get better understanding of how people from different, many different backgrounds interact with trees and nature in cities. Because, of course, we'll need to understand that before we can develop strategies for for expanding, for example, urban forest and, um, in general, forest resources across the world. Certainly, I, in my area of green infrastructure, but in, in, in all efforts across the board to, um, to, to combat climate breakdown, I think while we'd need to encourage the mentality that we need to try as many different things as possible, certainly knowledge about what works needs to proceed the efforts because we really don't have time for um for you know for just proceeding willy nilly do we um could we be could we dive in then a little bit to um to uh just to frame the scope um and type of um of problem to which advocates of um of tree planting believe believe these initiatives speak then um i'm pretty sure there's no one um there's very few people left um left who aren't aware but but maybe as a as a way of framing the discussion about the benefits we can start to think about some of the um some of the problems briefly absolutely so so we know i guess that there's as you say there's general agreement that that trees can help us address some of these issues climate change uh, public health of course also to help us maintain biodiversity in our cities they, of course, also just make our cities nicer places to be in terms of aesthetics, in terms of providing social meeting places, etc. But um, having said that, of course, we also know that having trees in cities is not uh, is not always easy. And cities are not always the most uh, uh, the best growing places for uh, for trees. So we obviously have to think about ways of bringing cit- trees into cities in meaningful ways, and and maybe not just having very artificial tree plantings, but but also thinking more along natural ecological uh, concepts so for example i'm a big advocate of thinking more natural like in terms of for example street tree plantations so why do we always plant the same species maybe even the same as we call it cultivar so same genetic material along our streets rather than maybe mixing it up a bit more and trying to think more along uh, ecological or forest-like structures and i think we are we have not been really creative in terms of bringing nature into our cities in that sense we do it in some ways but then in other ways we we still feel we have to control nature very much so i think that's that's one of the key problems is still probably a kind of mentality and maybe an educational issue that we think along certain ways of how we develop cities and green infrastructure but but there are actually other ways and more creative ways in which we could do that so typically there's a there's a relatively small palette of 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 trees so in london for example we see an awful lot of um of plane trees is there is there a, a, a sim- it sounds like there is a similarly small palette in um in in vancouver what are the species that over there that you see um recurrent in um, in specification yeah so, so it's really interesting to see that a vancouver a city like vancouver that has actually a fantastic climate for trees uh, and many tree species do pretty well in in the city here and grow very well but we're still uh, looking at a, a rather limited palette of, for example, uh, ma- different types of maple trees. Uh, 
we have uh, red cedars even in our streets. Um, so very few species make up really the, the big share of the population. Cherry trees, different type of cherry trees that have a strong link to the to the city's strong um, cultural heritage, for example. And, and although there have been efforts from the city to diversify and also maybe think about tree species that are better adapted to, to uh, future climate change, they... Uh, they're still kind of stuck, I think, in terms of the current population in uh, yeah, a few dominating species, which is not good, of course, from a diversity and an ecological perspective. One of the um, one of the questions that I'd like to um, to come on to in a little while is um, is a little bit of a dive into the um, into the into the kind of species, the other species that are supported when we talk about biodiversity benefits. But but maybe if we can begin, I think. Um, I'd like to see if we can distinguish a little bit because I suspect there is something uh, a distinction to be made between urban and um, non-urban uh, tree benefits. Is is that correct? Are they are they resolving different problems? Are they being like um, specified for different reasons? Yeah, I think that's that's a great question actually because there's a lot of let's say approaches that are are simplifying things too much. And obviously, when you have a tree in an urban area, it will fulfill it will fulfill different roles. It will be it's part of our daily living living environment. Most of us in Canada, for example, 83% of the population live in cities. So obviously these trees are hardworking in terms of providing us with daily benefits, um, cooling the city, reducing air pollution, providing us with, with health benefits. Well, but maybe if you're in a in more rural environment, you could think more about like larger scale um, forest ecosystems, plantations that could, for example, play a bigger role maybe in carbon storage, uh, timber production, production of other um, non uh, let's say non-timber uh, products etc so i would say there, there's a difference but of course wherever we have trees where people live um, there will be similarities also in terms of providing us with this daily dose of uh, of greenness around us which is as we know from research extremely important for our health and well-being yeah certainly the um <clears throat> i've been talking recently about the um the the um the public um the public health budget that gets spent on um, on on intervening in assisting with um, 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 uh, mental well-being, mental health for um, for the for the general population. I I do wonder if there are, if there are metrics, if there's been analysis out there of um, of, of what the the stacked benefits would be of diverting some of the spend on reacting to you know um, citizens with um, with um, with uh, with mental health problems to. Um, to uh, to um, to to green infrastructure to, that, that 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 would that would help to, to deliver these um, benefits is that is that something that factors into your research over there or is it are the kind of we we talking about um, about group different groups of specialists working more in silos? Yeah, I think it, I think we we do a bit of work on that. We have some colleagues here at at, uh, at UBC that are really specialised in this. So, for example, Matilda van den Bosch is is working as as a former medical doctor actually on uh, on on the links between nature and and um, and public health in the city, um, and it's, it's, there's really a wave right now. I was actually at a conference in Cleveland last week in Cleveland, Ohio, where um, people from the medical professions were presenting about how we're actually now starting to integrate nature into hospital designs, uh, developing pocket parks, but also prescribing nature. So there's a network of, of um, uh, physicians in the U.S. that is now prescribing the use of parks and and, uh, and woodland areas to their to their patients for specific uh, illnesses. So. So I think we actually moved uh, from maybe a focus on trying to understand that nature is good for us to, to actually starting to, to, to activate some of that knowledge and, and realizing that we actually, by bringing nature into healthcare facilities, but also by, by stimulating people to be more 
um, engaged in nature, uh, we can actually inc really improve our, our, our public health. And with that, of course, we can make tremendous savings in terms of, uh, of healthcare cost. This is one of the things that I spoke with John about in the um, in the first um, in the first podcast. The idea of um, <clears throat> in term in diet in terms of um, public health is communicated often in vegetables. We have the idea of um, of five a day, um, and that um, uh, nature could be talked about in the um, same in 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 the in the same terms. Although I'm also um, a kind of mindful about not instrumentalizing um na nature in that sense so like i'm very wary if it if it gets if it leaches into talk about efficiency um or or, or product or productivity because i think in in some ways there's a there's a disposition towards nature towards people that that, that kind of that can be kind of counterproductive if that's the if that's the ways in which we um, if that's the ways in which we talk about it. Your colleague certainly sounds interesting, and maybe there's um, there's scope there for an introduction so that we can have a deeper dive into this on um, on another episode of the um, of the of the podcast. Um, sure. <clears throat> in terms of um, in terms of the benefits, then um, for um, uh, for um, uh, urban areas, I guess one of the things that's that like you know in that's become common sense as it were is that is that trees are particularly good for two perhaps um perhaps three things so um, um carbon sequestration um improving air quality and um and to some extent um urban drainage can we take those three in turn and talk just like in layman's terms try to explain just exactly how trees do contribute to those um to those three things Absolutely. So in terms of carbon, uh, as we know, as trees grow and they, uh, they have what they call photosynthesis, so they, they actually capture carbon as part of their, um, their, their very fundamental process. And actually photosynthesis, as we know, is actually the, the, the primary production process we have in the world. So without it, we wouldn't have food, we wouldn't have basically the ecosystems we have today. So, so trees grow and with that they absorb uh, carbon dioxide, but, but of course when they die, they also release that again. So, so that's one of one of the issues, of course, we're always looking at. So, so trees are part of this life cycle of um, of growing and dying, and etc. So, but of course, in general, our forests they store tremendous amounts of uh, of carbon. Um, in cities, of course, compared to maybe more natural areas, uh, that contribution may be relatively limited. But on the other end, um, there's a, there's a very strong symbolic value, of course, in having a tree standing next to a school where where the teacher can go out and say, "Hey, look at this big tree." It actually helps us uh, by storing storing carbon and, and that way mitigating climate change. Um, in terms of the climate change agenda, I would say that trees especially are relevant in cities for uh, for ad helping adapt us and our cities to, to climate change, for example, by uh, by the cooling effect. Uh, in terms of air pollution reduction, uh, the research is, uh, is still a little bit, I would say, conflicting in this sense. So we, we see studies where trees are absorbing pollutants. We also see Sometimes situations where actually trees can um, can be part of the problem in terms of street canyons, as we call it. So they may uh, reduce air flows, and that could actually enhance sometimes local air pollution problems. So they they trap underneath the canopy. They trap pollutants. They could do that. Yeah. So so that means that we need to be careful in how we design street tree plantations. So we make sure we, on the one hand, have those air pollution uh, capturing mechanisms, but also make sure we have an airflow. And there's actually some interesting research going on on that now. How we can optimize some of the design. Uh, but we know, for example, in terms of, of uh, particles, which is this smaller, let's say, dust-like um, elements that we have in many of our cities because of, of car pollution and so, their trees play a really important role, especially trees with, with big leaves, with hairy leaves. They actually capture some of that 
um, and actually make sure that it doesn't get to us. So we can by designing uh, plantings along, for example, where we walk in cities, we can reduce uh, the impact of those particles on on our on our health. And in terms of sorry, just to um, just to sure, yeah. dive dive into that a little bit. So when we talk a little bit about um, when we mentioned earlier, rather um, the the temporary sequestration of carbon is this also a temporary sequestration of um, of particles? Does it get washed off in in um, in, in storms or uh, what 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 happens to those particles after the and and, yeah. and indeed is there a certain um, is there a limit to the contribution that that, um, that, that trees can make? Yeah, absolutely, but, and I think that that's a very fair point to make. So, so I'm although I'm a I'm a big advocate for trees, I'm always very careful not to. Let's say overstate some of those benefits, and I think that it's, as you say, it's it's a it's a buffering effect. So trees help us to to maybe reduce the dosage of, of, of pollutants more than anything else. So so they will uh, they will act as a kind of a buffer or sponge. So they they will not maybe fully absorb, but they will make sure that not all these pollutants come to us at, uh, in the big amounts they could potentially. Um, but of course, on the other end, trees do absorb some of the pollutants as well and, and can provide some contribution. But but again, let's not overstate. Um, Especially when it comes to air pollution, I think there has been a bit of a tendency sometimes to overstate the benefits. While for other benefits, I think we sometimes undervalue, and I think cooling in the city is one of those, and the other one would definitely be the stormwater regulation um, or control aspect, where I think trees play uh, or can play a fundamental uh, role. And um, in terms of, to take those two, in terms of cooling, that's through... Um that, that's through the, the the trees literally breathing back out um, moisture, um, cool moisture into into the air through. Um... You're correct. Yeah, and then together, of course, with, with the shading effect, they also give. So you will have a local effect, but then you also have uh, through this process of, of, as we call the technical term, is evapotranspiration, right? So you bring moisture back into the air. You cool on the larger scale as well, and that that impact can be several uh, degrees centigrade. Yeah, absolutely. We see that in um, my my specialist field is is green roofs, and it's um, right, yeah. there's a lot of uh, research, um, especially I believe from Germany, which shows that the um, evapotranspiration can make a contribution um, to um, to the efficiency of solar panels where they're positioned amidst amidst um, amidst vegetation for for exactly that reason. You know, the the, the the panels work better at cooler temperatures as do as do as do most um, appliances and. Uh, right. And so, so there's a there's like kind of a, a stacked um, a, a stacked benefit to um, to be gained um, to be gained there. Um, uh, and then and then the other question was about suds. So is this um, s- simply a question of the roots absorbing uh, ab- absorbing water? Um, it, it, I guess there's um, I guess there's a, 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 a limit to that. Is this a how, how does the process work? Let's say we've got a, a downpour in um, in our, in our cities. To what just just to what extent could do, um, do 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 trees actually make a difference to the um, to you know to, to to managing stormwater, or are we talking about more of a, a passive general background um, contribution? Yeah, so I always like to uh, to use the term that they've started to use in China quite a lot, which is sponge cities. So by greening our cities, we kind of create a sponge effect. So so trees, of course, first of all, they would break. Through the leaves, for example, in the structure, they would break uh, kind of the intensity of of the water uh, when we have a downpour. Uh, but from there, of course, they will um, they will regulate some of that water. It will come through the crown or to through stem drip, and so it will more, be be released more slowly. And then next, of course, they will absorb part of the water as well. Uh, so if we design not only with trees but also with other vegetation, a uh, very clever kind of rain garden-like infrastructure, we can actually make sure that not all that water comes rushing into our drainage system and, and overburdens it so we can reduce uh, floods 
Uh, we can even, in some cases, disconnect part of, of, for example, private residence or houses from um, from from the drainage system. So, so I think really this idea of, of seeing the city as a green city as a sponge is is a very useful way of looking at it. You mentioned China. Is is China a, a leader in the, in this field? Is that somewhere that we? Um, and and if so, is it a leader in in terms of ideas, or is it in terms of quantity? Just because it's got the, you know, the um, the, the political will at the moment to, um, to 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 push through some of these, you know, city city scale um, improvements. Yeah, I think China is, is a very interesting place right now. I've been working there for for quite a few years, and I go there a few times a year, uh, a few times a year, definitely. Um, I think the innovation that's coming in China is, as you say, very much policy-based. So there's a lot of strong uh, government-led policy, very top-down, obviously. Um, but there's also a lot of innovation because there's, I think the, 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 there are the resources and there's the willingness to test, to try different things. There's some very interesting thinking emerging that is a mix of some of the, the things we've been developing in, in our part of, of the world, but also some new Chinese initiatives. So the whole Sponge City is, is based on work by a landscape architect called Kong Yan Yu, who was uh, trained partly at, at Harvard, but, but has really developed a very Chinese approach to developing uh, ecological cities, which, which I think is, is, is fascinating. It's actually also being implemented in other parts of the world now. Uh, of course, there's, there's also, there are all kind of major issues in China as well. There's still a, a very big impact on just big-scale planting, maybe not very diverse, but, but I've seen during recent years a willingness to, uh, to adopt more ecological, more small-scale uh, better informed approaches to uh, to urban greening. That your um, your colleague would certainly be someone that we could um, that we could link to in the um, in the notes accompanying the pods. This talk of um, this this talk of um, China seeking to address um, some um, some of its poli- um, some of its um, uh, environmental um, urban challenges through um, through sponge cities makes me wonder whether um whether and to what extent this is being applied in in other fast developing countries so i read i've seen a lot of um, literature recently about um about india and specifically how um india's relative lack of um of water both in terms of rainfall and um, and access to clean water via rivers is going to be something that is already significantly hampering its its development and then of course we we also know that it suffered extreme acute droughts in a number of um, in a number of major conurbations just just this year which you know i've seen um the case made that the um that the recent intervention in um in kashmir was somehow related to but i wonder with the, uh, the geopolitical picture aside so to what extent for a, a relatively arid developing um country like india would um would would tree planting sponge cities green infrastructure um contribute yeah, I think I think there's a huge potential. Uh, and you, you mentioned India. I think India, India is an example of a country with with huge potential, but but very little, unfortunately, activity on the on this uh, within this field yet. So there's a few excellent colleagues that are trying to push the agenda, but but there's very very few people that are focusing on that. So there's no really large scale efforts, as far as I know, to really to do meaningful greening efforts. There's a few cities like um, some of the more like high tech uh, cities like Bangalore. They've been trying to move forward, but they also face tremendous pressures in terms of continuing development. I think India is expecting two or three hundred million new urban dwellers in the next uh, couple of decades. So there's, there's a huge planning uh, challenge and a huge urgency to develop uh, greener and better cities. But this is a country where actually only very recently they had their first professionally certified arborist um, um, acknowledged. So it's, it's a country that is in huge need, I think, of capacity building. 
Uh, we're trying at UBC to actually set up development or collaboration now with, uh, for example, the Indian Forest Service to, to train some of their staff in, in more urban approaches to, um, to the work they're doing. And is there a role for um, for <clears throat> for um, for other other countries to um, to facilitate this outside of um, you know I think an outside of academic circles um, maybe in terms of um, British Council or, or you know like through um, through through kind of soft, the soft power that some of the, um, the the former colonial countries have in in, in the world what how do you think the um, the assistance can be um, can be provided perhaps yeah that, that's really a, an excellent point I, I know that for example the arboricultural association in the uk has has been establishing some some links and, and is willing to to help maybe in capacity building and maybe set up similar types of organization in india and i, I do think that that the uk has a has a has a good inroads and actually has the opportunities to uh, to help as, as this industry will emerge the whole urban forestry urban greening industry green infrastructure planning industry I'm sure India is one of the next frontiers when it comes to that. Um, so, so definitely, I think UK actors, uh, professional organisations, uh, consultants, academia—they will have a big role to play here. Could we um, could we move on to um, to um, unpack a little bit in the same way um, as we as we have um, in relation to um, to, uh, to carbonation and air pollution? Could we talk a little bit about um, the biodiversity benefits um, of, of, of trees in, in urban areas. What other species um, is it, can we expect um, uh, trees new and developed to, um, to support and how can, how can if, if it can, to what extent can that help to, um, to compensate for, um, for lost habitat outside of the city or lost brownfield development sites within the city? Yeah, I think trees play, play a very crucial role. They are the kind of the, the, the prime uh, vegetation in cities. They help, of course, create small-scale habitats and ecosystems. Uh, they're, they're very important for bird life in cities, as we know, um, but also for, for mammals and insects. So in Vancouver has actually a very proactive uh, approach to that, to urban wildlife, for example. And they say, well, we want to co- cohabit with, with animals in our cities, which means that we we see uh, raccoons, we see coyotes, we see uh, even bears and, and cougars coming down from the from the mountains into our streets sometimes. So, uh, but of course, also in terms of bird life, really, literally, uh, our streets are are full with with full of, of animals, uh, be it squirrels or birds, etc. So, so I think trees really play an important role as, as habitats, but also as kind of our nearby uh, nature reserves, basically, where, where kids can go. You can, can literally go to a big maple tree or a big oak tree here and you can start identifying some of those uh, mosses and ferns and uh, insects and birds that are actually using those trees. So I think they have a tremendous educational uh, role as well. So that's why I'm also sad that we are, unfortunately, removing many of our trees and, and, um, and nature around schools uh, because of risk aversion, uh, where I think we should really be replanting close to schools. Uh, when I was a kid, I, I loved the fact that we had trees everywhere around my school and I could always sit and dream away when I was a little bit bored with the teacher at some stage and just look at a tree and see all the things that were happening. Yeah, it's an interesting question. And, and, and in terms of schools, I think it was John Lieber this week that tweeted a, um, a study which showed that screening, you know, the, with, with bushes and I think and trees, small, um, small planting around trees, that we, when we spoke earlier about air pollution, literally having a physical screen of vegetation between, between roads and parks, um, substitute parks for schools, if you like, but it's... Um, it screened fifty percent of the airborne particulates that yeah. were um, that were that were being generated by the um, 
by the by the passing traffic i mean it, it seems to me that ve- vegetation like um well well thought out um and managed vegetation around school seems to be like one of the best ways of stacking benefits that you could um that you could imagine um <clears throat> what are the obstacles so are the obstacles what we call like health and safety um uh, you know overbearing risk management um concerns is that is that is that the um the source uh, the sort or a, so i should rephrase that a certain framing of risk management obviously it's moot given all that we're describing about the um, the benefits or the or the or the or the effects of inaction in this respect yeah i think it's a it's a big part of the issue i think there's a lot of risk aversion um and as you know in the uk it's, it's definitely an issue it's definitely an issue in north america i've seen in other parts of the world like i lived in, in sweden and denmark before where there's a little bit more willingness to to, to have more risky uh, children's behavior in, in nature. And I think that that's very healthy. I think actually one of the issues is also kind of a, a governance or ownership issue where these lands or schools are based on are often part of a school board and they kind of fall a little bit outside of the remit of, of uh, city parks department. So it's a bit unclear who's maintaining and then the school board probably won't have the, the expertise. They won't have an arborist. Or they won't have somebody to manage those trees. So, so partly I think it's risk aversion. Partly it's also a fear of, okay, we have this trees now now we have to take care of them and we don't have the resources for that so um so it's, it's, it's really unfortunate i think we should really be more proactive in trying to develop uh, programs that could help for example schools or school boards with that that raises an, an interesting question which is about with the with the current uptick why what is the care regime that we should expect for trees is it is it costly but beneficial is it relatively light touch you know i think in my, my touchstone for um for for um, for care and maintenance so I, I get asked all the time about a, a fit and forget green roof which is pretty not pretty non-existent but but relative to the really quite onerous um, maintenance requirements um, and plant replenishment replacement requirements for for some of the um, the you know the the recent vogue for um, for modular living walls um, in the city I wonder where how trees fit into this um, to this picture of, um, of, of of relative O&M costs operating and maintenance costs as we would say yeah I'm really happy you asked, asked the question I think one of the one of my concerns is that we well by the by the way we focus on on tree planting and enhancing canopy cover and things like that we often Kind of tend to ignore the fact that, of course, apart from the tree planting cost, there will be uh, will be management cost, maintenance cost over time, and and when, as our cities get drier, in many cases, for example, watering will be a big part of that. So so some people will say, well, you have to calculate like a factor four or five in terms of future maintenance into your tree planting cost, um, and I think that's important that we don't. Uh, focus too much on just getting money for tree planting without having any way of, of maintaining those trees in the future because I mean planting a tree is fantastic but if, if you plant a tree and it dies after a few years then you're actually not doing yourself a favor of course because people will it will affect people in many negative ways so I'd rather plant fewer trees but then make sure they're well maintained over the years rather than just focusing on, on uh, getting the numbers up this is um that, that that's exactly the kind of conversation i try to have with people about um about green roofs Beth, you pay half you literally will pay twice or or right. unfor- or unfortunately you pay half um you lose the you lose the vegetation within a, a year or two and you've got alienated clients passers by um and and it's a and it's a it's it's a it's a loss for the um you know for for all of us we don't have time for this kind of for the, for that for that kind of mentality but i also appreciate that there's a there's a a question of 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 how we communicate um you know in in the round and to which stakeholders do we um do we do we speak about these things it, it, 
we all see um, see uh, tree surgeons um, um, dotted around cities working all the time. Is there a is there a what kind of what's the budget for 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 tree maintenance for a city like um, for a for the public budget for a, for a city like Vancouver? Do, do you, and do you know how that would compare with somewhere like London? Is it is this are we are we talking a sig- a significant cost that we just have to bear? Yeah, I, w- I would definitely. It's definitely a significant cost, and and the reality is, unfortunately, that most cities have uh, don't have the money they would need for proper tree care. So, so what happens is, of course, that for example, regular uh, tree care, which would be uh, you go to every tree at least every five, maybe maybe eight or, or nine years, and and make sure you uh, you prune it, you make sure it's in good shape. That's often not happening because of lack of funding. Vancouver is not so bad; it has a decent um, funding. Although it, it focuses a lot of its funding again on, on capital projects, so developing new parks and uh, recreational infrastructure, uh, typically you will see in many cities that, that budget for tree care is is, uh, is maybe not sufficient, um, which of course also means that you you build in a risk in terms of some of those trees uh, failing or, or yeah the risk that, that you get all kind of issues with them over time. And so I was going to ask what the consequences are of of of, of pushing the um, the frequency of visits back, or or or, or maybe rotating the um, you know concentrating only on the ones next to the roadside or next to schools yeah. or what have you. Are we, are we talking about limb fall? Are we talking about stunted growth or, or outright outright yeah. death? Yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly those things. Right? So so it's of course you loaded. I mean the, the the risk of being being hit by a tree or, or being sufficient really injured or or even worse by trees are, are very small so of course it happens and when it happens it's a big media case and we should avoid it wherever we can but of course we live with with living organisms so there's always a there's always a risk things can happen but you want to inspect the trees and, and most cities have s- schedules or programs in place to do that on a regular basis but of course apart from that you need to you know make sure you do your maintenance your management in proper ways uh, otherwise you risk uh, tree fall limb fall but also in general, of course, you, you don't get the benefits you want to get out of a tree. So if you help that tree along the way, especially street trees, then you will promote the benefits. When you're in a in more natural environment, a park or woodland, then probably you don't have to do so much. It's more about maybe some, some uh, yeah, safety concerns along trails and so, but there you don't have to do as much. But big streets, uh, you would definitely have to be more intense in your, in your maintenance and have proper tree care in place. One of the ideas that's intriguing me at the moment is that we can... Um, we can find ways of so everyone knows everyone that's um, that's got um, a plant at home um, or a garden um, uh, a little uh, patio or, or, or balcony container garden kind of understands on even if it's on on quite a subtle level the 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 joy that tending plants can bring and it's it's kind of difficult to put into words it's a sense of connection um a sense of being you know kind of connected with something kind of mysterious or magical beyond beyond your um be kind of beyond yourself i'm i'm wondering if um there's there are ways as we increasingly populate our cities sponge cities um as you as you mentioned they call them in um in china if there's not a way of more proactively linking up um people who would benefit from um from um from a kind of a an operation um uh, a, a working relationship a frequent relationship with nature you know that capacity um that, that we as a society have um and a need that many people within society have to be connected with nature and that need to um to 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 manage um you know to to, to manage those those plants i've 
I'm 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 kind of groping in the in the dark a little bit, I suppose, for um, for the for the language with which to de- to describe it in a way which maybe maybe sells it. And no doubt there are a whole range of um, a range of obstacles. But I wonder is from what I'm describe from what I'm hearing you describe it. It sounds like maybe trees would would naturally fall outside of what might be done in a more informal way by by members of the the community. Should that be possible? to coordinate is it obviously we've all seen people with chainsaws hanging out of trees that's not going to be for every that's not going to be for everybody but but is there is there scope certainly as we're planting loads of young trees um are there are there ways in which we can kind of stack the benefits of all of this planting that's going on to to um to bring to bring more people that really need it into contact with nature would you say yeah i would definitely say so and i think trees are although yeah we don't want members of the public maybe necessarily to go around with chainsaws and but i think there are ways of involving uh public they could help us maybe uh, keep an eye on trees do maybe some basic risk assessment but especially also water them in summer um, we have sch- schemes like the, we used to have a tree keeper uh, program in vancouver where volunteers were helping the city actually uh, maintain trees uh, over time and we're really providing um, stewardship and i think as you say the benefits of just engaging with trees and, and uh, as a community i think are, are tremendous and we know from research that it will bring uh, benefits in terms of social connections it will bring us closer to nature and for me trees are really this fascinating uh, other in the city they really represent this this nature which we uh, we are part of of course on the one hand but on the other hand also is, is so distant from us and so foreign from us which which i think is very healthy it really provides perspective in in these hard, highly artificial environments that we have created for ourselves yeah, I, um, I spend most of my uh, most of my time on um, on a canal boat that I've renovated in um, in London, and I remember in the um, in the in the drought last year, um, I got a knock on the um, on the window from um, from a chap that was um, that was that was needed me to to reach down and pull out a load of um, canal water for him so he could um, he could water some of the trees that he'd noticed <laughs> looked like looked like they were That's they right. were struggling. The um, when we think about um, the social correlates of a tree planting scheme i'm one of the questions that i've seen um um uh, there was a there's a, a phd right a phd student i believe who who wrote a um what seemed to be quite an important um journalist Stephen Voronetsky. apologies for the um for the mispronunciation perhaps but he articulated something in the um in that paper, which I've seen um, in different forms elsewhere on the internet, which revolves around the idea of, um, or the question of um, just imposing tree planting schemes at scale in um, in, um, in, um, in in other countries or in um, or in communities, do you have a sense of like best practice in terms of how to um, how to go about? Um, well, actually, no. Let me ask a, a, a prior question. We've got. With this uptick in um, in interest, um, team trees are like trying to raise, uh, trying to cover, um, uh, trying to raise uh, donations to cover twenty million trees being planted. Carbon offsetting for um, for airlines, which quite often involves um, tree planting at scale. Where is this happening, and is it happening in areas in which? Um, com- um, community the, the local it would be beneficial if the local community was um was, you know was 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 um was engaged was participating in and, we, and in which this this offered opportunities for um for for, for for those groups yeah i think i think it's a really important question because i think there's this there's there is the tendency to go for these large-scale uh, planting schemes unfortunately not all of them are maybe but maybe very good from a from a social 
uh, let's say, social justice, environmental justice perspective. So, so for me, it's absolutely crucial that when we do these things that we have to engage with local local residents, local communities. Um, and, and there are examples of that, of cities that have been doing that, cities like New York and Melbourne, they've been really good in of engaging with their local uh, uh, residents, but but some other places, and I think I mean China and other countries come to come to mind, of course, where, where maybe there's not so much local engagement, that could lead to to conflicts, that could lead, of course, to local communities feeling uh, being left out. Um, issues here in Canada with, for example, indigenous communities, our, our so-called First Nations, uh, that's that's serious, and and we need to really be very careful that we don't just. Uh, Put green first without having a proper consideration of, of social, uh, economic, social, cultural aspects. And and just to just to uh, so that I I understand a little bit about the kind of the dynamics of what can go on is that really just claiming areas of land, turfing people off off land that they've maybe tended for generations in order to to um, to to plant rows of um, rows of trees to meet um, you know to meet certain targets elsewhere in in the world. Is it? it are we talking about um, are we talking about land grabs? Are we talking about what? Do, do you have a sense of what tends what tends to happen in these places when it goes wrong? Yeah, so I think places of like like for example China, so where where there's a, a very um, special land uh, ownership situations where basically the government, the state, is is owning any land. So there, there's of course always a risk that people are removed from the land, and that could also happen in, in terms of tree planting. There are examples of of Chinese cities, but also agricultural areas where that has happened. Uh, there is there are forms of compensation for local residents, but of course, ideally, I think many of them would have liked to stay in their place. Um, of course, also when you think about the tropics, I'm not an expert in this field, I have to admit, but but I know there are cases of where maybe plantations have come in and, and actually replaced existing uh, land tenure systems that had been there for many many years. So, so I know quite quite a few researchers are, are concerned with this, and uh, so you know, tree planting is not always uh, the golden solution for sure. It, it's, it's about much more yeah, community involvement and being sensitive to local context and f- for those of us i assume pretty much all of all of my listeners would be for those of us who, who want to play a part in a in a way which is environmentally and environmentally benign or positive and and indeed socially just are there are there acknowledged ways of which which people can get involved that where they can be that you're aware of that can that they can be relatively confident or um, are not going to be problematic at the delivery end yeah, so definitely I would, would engage with, with uh, reputable organizations that are known to to do tree planting in, uh, in respectable ways. And there are different organizations in, in Europe as well as in North America that would be uh, that would be appropriate. But there's also actually good good websites that, that for example, um, look at the pros and cons of different uh, carbon compensation schemes, for example, if you do air travel. So, so I think there are resources out there and I would, would encourage people to engage with those and and to, to go to their local conservation groups or so to, to, to find more information and to see like what, what kind of projects will be uh, will be um, um, good to engage with rather than maybe uh, greenwashing projects. Yeah, amen. Um, is one of the um, is it? I've been struck by Team Trees. There's been a, a really great kind of enthusiasm sweeping the um, sweeping the internet. People to um, to donate donate more. You know, like some of the um, some of the f- famous billionaires that have been um, that have been um, that have been having this land running curious race with each yeah. other to, do, to donate another another hundred thousand here five hundred thousand five hundred thousand there is 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 quantity the metric 
um is is or do we you know is that is there an optimum number in a given area is and you mentioned earlier in in, in urban areas being more creative with the ways in which we we set trees out but is it simply a question of quantity density do we need to just plant as many trees as as as, as possible or is there um i guess the question that, that underpins this is not just one of quantity it's like can we get this wrong and and if so how, what would what would get what would getting it wrong look like Right. Yeah. No. I, th- I think, of course, there's a there's a big power. Like as you say, the, uh, the team for team trees uh, campaign usually successful. Uh, strong partners like Arbor Day Foundation that I have a lot of respect for that actually do things in a very meaningful way. And of course, it raises the the issue, raises the profile. But but of course, it's not so easy to to hit targets because we don't often know what the target is. So. Uh, for many years, we've had a recommendation um, of 40% canopy cover coming out of, of North America. And now people have said, well, you know, this is, of course, very much context dependent. It depends very much if you are in uh, Ouagadougou, uh, Western Africa, you're in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, or you are maybe in a city like Atlanta where they have a canopy cover of over 50% already. So I think it's really context dependent. And it also depends on the type of ecosystem you're at or you're in. Um, Riyadh, I was there a few weeks ago, they have a current canopy cover of 0.6%. Obviously, they want to increase that. But then to increase it to 10% would be a major effort in a desert city, of course. So so that will require a lot of rethinking and replanning. Um, and just, I mean, in some cases, I think we can get it wrong if we, we just blindly uh, plant too many trees. We don't think about the ecological diversity. We, uh, we run into social cultural issues or environmental justice issues or... Even in some cases, maybe trees are providing too much shade. And, and if you're in a dark uh, climate where it's, you have dark winters, you may not want trees everywhere because you block out the little sun you get. So so I think it's, it's a very nuanced uh, approach rather than just hitting those targets. But I, I do see the value, though, of, of targets and big numbers because they just stimulate that, of course, immense uh, public support. Sure, sure. If, um, of course, um, I was um, listening to um, to a Richard Maybe audiobook recently, and he was talking about... Um, tree selection um for urban areas should um should include things like the quality of shade did is that something that you um that you specify for or yeah in, not, um, not me personally your... but that by i heard uh, there's some really interesting work going on i was actually speaking with a few uh, architects the other day and they said that actually the the idea of shade and it, a kind of cultural social cultural connotations is an important uh, important element and we 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 kind of sometimes simplify things, it becomes black or white, shade or no shade. But of course, it's, it's who has access to that shade and, and where is it and, and who maybe uh, actually loses because of that shade. So I think it's, it's a really interesting perspective to, to look at shade uh, as not only as a, as a physical phenomenon, but also as a sociocultural uh, phenomenon. I've got um, I've got one more question I'd like to ask before we get to, um, to the quick fire ones that I tend to uh, <laughs> sure. tend to wrap up the um the podcast with and as a as someone living in Canada I think the answer may be somewhat distorted but last uh, a couple of weeks ago I had um, a closed loop um, architect Duncan Baker Brown who um, who spoke about um, the um, it was Epping Forest um, it, on the outskirts of London that sparked his um, his interest in um, in in closed loop systems and uh, and he spoke about how it had been a productive forest you know tr- trees grown there had um had had been um had been used to create the ships that helped the english um english navy conquer the world and i was 
was thinking as I was um, as I was preparing for our conversation today. To what extent is productive forestry for uh, close to urban areas where construction work is going to be happening or is is happening at scale already? To what extent is um, is has the um, as the as uh, the benefit you know in terms of reduced miles in terms of redu- uh, reduced um, transport miles in, in embodied energy um uh so to what extent is that part of the conversation already and how far how far advanced is that is that conversation would you say that's a that's a really interesting point as well there's actually quite a bit happening there so there's there's on the one hand a long history especially in central european countries and maybe also northern europe of, of having city forestry that actually was partly really meant to produce uh, timber and, and generate extra income for the city. Um, UK cities have partly had that. They've looked at things like biomass for, for energy production. Um, and then, of course, today we're, we're starting to build much more with wood again. So we used to have at UBC the, the world's highest uh, wooden building or using wood in, in structure, 12, uh, 12-story building. Now there's other buildings that are higher than that. So there's a kind of a re discovery i think is of, of wood as a, as a building envi- building material in cities as a more sustainable way of also for example sequestering carbon in that um, and on the other end of course there's also we have all those street trees um, thousands of three hundreds thousands of, of, of trees in cities like london millions of trees and, and what do we do with them when they they get removed usually we just destroy them and, and, uh, and mulch them but why not uh, uh, why not use the wood so uh, there's some interesting initiatives around the world now of trying to repurpose and, and use that uh, urban wood and maybe brand it even as your locally grown wood. It's um, I'm I'm in the process of um, of designing, imminently executing a um, a kind of a timber feature wall, so internal internal cladding, and I um, I, I, I was researching um, Sussex Sussex grown where the uh, the site is Sussex grown. Uh, timber and comparing it there's a really great um, website which i'll put a link into which helps you to compare the footprint of mass produced softwood versus locally produced hardwood and the the, the yard there actually had um had uh, had some london plain it was it was uh, it's a beautiful grain um, um prohibitively expensive and not particularly suited to um to internal cladding because of the way that they'd um the way that they'd cured it but but certainly it would be um i think for certain projects it's um it absolutely um lends itself the um i I was in toronto recently and i'm guessing is there a 17 story um timber constructed tower now is that that could well be i know i know there's also building and being constructed right now in austria that's going to be the tallest so there's kind of a, an innovation race going on there about who can, who can build and, the highest building but, but what that speaks to i guess is that the um that it's not prohibitively expensive um in in order to um to, to build in wood and it's the um the benefits are the be- benefits primarily to avoid the um the extra footprint that um that um you know that, that site cast concrete buildings have I think that's a big part of it, and I think it's also, uh, well, of course, there's a general feeling, I think, a lot among many people that actually wood is, is a very pleasant material to have around us. So there, there's research that shows it has uh, calming effects at us, it inspires us. So I think it's partly definitely life cycle, carbon footprint. Uh, on the other end, I think it's also just the aesthetics and the the, the, the kind of the, the pleasantness of, of the material. So I think it's kind of a, it's a good combination coming up now where people say, oh, we can do more, we have more 
techniques, technology to do it in a proper way. And then it brings all these different benefits. It's a bit like, like city trees. They, they have these different benefits and it will be the same with, with wood as a construction material. I, um, I've, I've said for many years, my favorite um, interior or at least best designed um, interior is the um, is the reading rooms at the, the reading room one at the British Library where I oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah you've been so it's where I wrote a oh, lot yeah, I've seen it yeah, yeah. I, I wrote a lot of my um, my uh, my uh, the chapters in my PhD there and it's the um, what what for those who haven't been there what really struck me was that while you're working so below shoulder height I would say is um, it's oak panelled isn't it everything's um, oak panelled and um, and studded green leather. And then, uh, which helps to kind of facilitate that kind of studious but relaxed sense of, um, of you know, conducive, conducive to mind work when you're hunched over your desk. But then when you lean back in your chair, as you do when you're in the midst of Mr. Um, work, there's this cavern at white space with, um, with, uh, with, the, with the sky showing through in those, in those lanterns above. It's, it's, a, it's a remarkable, remarkably designed space. And, wood, and the wood panelling is absolutely um, central to the mood that they've, that they've, they've created there. Um, okay, uh, Cecil. To, to wrap up, there's um, what, what I tend to do is ask um, is ask my guests um, um, just a few short questions. The first of which is, um, if you were king for a day, what one thing would you change that would make the world a better place? <laughs> yeah, there's, it's, it's actually an excellent question, and I, I mean, you could think about, of course, spending a lot of money on certain things, but I, I think it would not be so different of the, the things I try to do on a daily basis, and that is really to try to. To, to foster talent, uh, people, young people entering uh, greening fields or uh, planners that are interested in, in green issues and so, and really try to, to stimulate them in, in exploring that career. I think we need many more people um, that are actually into that. I know that some figures say there, is going to be, there are going to be 60 million new green jobs over the next decade or so. So we need to get people in, interested in these industries. So, so if I'd be keen for a day is to, to, to get high schools uh, more sensitive to these green careers. Wonderful. Um, my mum was a um, was a youth and community worker, and I grew I, so I grew up with um, with form, with well my own formal education and then the informal ed- education that she was she was doing uh, yeah yeah alo- alongside. Um, okay, uh, quick fire uh, one. You know, it was through John Lieber's um, answer to this that um, that, that um, our paths crossed. So um, so hopefully it'll be um, similarly rich and rewarding. For, um, <laughs> for the podcast so one book or um, or podcast that you listen to that you um that you that you think people should um, should check out if they haven't already yeah so that's a tricky question because i'm a browser i really keep uh, i try to keep myself abreast of what, what's going on but but one of the, the books that really has inspired me during recent times is a book called when darwin comes to town by a dutch uh, scientist and writer called menno schildhuizen and it, it really provides a very interesting perspective of how cities are are shaping nature rather than just being shaped by nature and how actually evolutionary processes almost get sped up by uh, by, by urban areas as new habitats and i think it's a fascinating perspective of how, how, how cities and nature interact nature's interact so when darwin comes to town highly recommend it i'll post a link to it that sounds fascinating um okay uh one person that you admire or social and media account that, um, that you find value in that, that, that people should follow I think that there's a lot of excellent people out there. I mean, John Lieber, not to return the favor, but he's really one of those people who picks up on a lot of interesting uh, discussions on Twitter. I'm really fond of the Nature of Cities uh, blog uh, or a website. They have a lot of interesting uh, kind of cross-science practice discussions. Uh, and actually, I'm really appreciative of some of the major newspapers uh, these days. Newspapers like The Guardian and New York Times are really 
um, taking a serious, doing a serious job of covering relative, relevant issues in, in our field. Great stuff. And finally, uh, where, where you like to go to, um, to immerse yourself in nature and, um, and, and why? Yeah, so I would love to say that I'm somebody who goes to spectacular nature all the time, but I'm, I'm afraid I'm not. I'm not the kind of person where I get my nature doses really on a daily basis. I really soak up uh, the air when I step out of my door. I, I love looking at the trees in my street. And I have a nice little woodland here just outside my, my building where I can easily go for a 10-minute or 15-minute break. And it really, uh, you just feel it re- revigorates or invigorates me. So it's those daily nature for me. Uh, having that near me with, within an easy couple of minutes walk, I think, for me, that's, that's the crucial part. Uh, amen. I think we should um, we should splice that little segment and use it to um, to, to to sell the, um, the 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 dose of nature a day um, into the um, okay. into, into the NHS and and beyond. Cecil, thanks ever so much for taking the time out. I know you're busy today. Thanks ever so much for taking the time out to um, to speak with us for um, for National Tree Week. Um, yeah, great look. I look forward to um, to following um, following what you do and um, and 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 seeing the um, seeing the reception that our um, our conversation gets online. Thanks ever so much again. Thanks so much, Lee. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it.